Are you curious about bodies, pleasure, and possibilities? And what about curious about what others are up to on the planet when it comes to pleasure, sex, and play? Have you considered what pleasure can do for your life, your body, and your bank account? Do you know something magical, delightful, and out of this world orgasmic is not only possible for you, but totally available to you? If you're ready to be the magical, sexual, sexy beast you know you can be, and you just need the tools to get there, you're in the right place. Now, here's the host of The Pleasure Zone, sensual movement artist, relationship, and sex alchemist, Milica Yelenich. Welcome, 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 my sweet, sweet pleasure seekers. If you're here and you're listening or watching, that makes you a pleasure seeker. Even if just for today, that makes you a pleasure seeker. Isn't that fun just to think about for one second that you are actually seeking pleasure and not like, you're not seeking like torment and crap in your life, like you're seeking pleasure today. Awesome, congratulations. You might be finding something a little more fun in your life. Today, I have a guest on the show. So for those of you who are avid listeners, you notice that I don't have a lot of guests anymore, but every once in a while, I come across somebody that I think would have a very fun conversation with me. So I invite them on. And this week and next week are guest weeks. And so this is a fun conversation this week. I particularly uh, chose Alan as my guest, and I was lucky enough for him to say yes after I twisted his arm a little bit, twisted his leg, gave him an energetic blowjob. He said yes. It was very kind of him. He didn't even know he did that, but no, I didn't actually. I just want to throw that in for you guys to go, what? You did what? Yes, I did. So our topic for today is astrology, sex, and relationships, and why? I know I've talked about, I haven't personally, I've had another guest on here talking before about astrology, Tara Green. That was a number of years ago, but it's been a long time since I've had astrology on the show. And today happens to be a day that's got a great buzz around it, the great conjunction. There's all this buzz going on. What is it? What's happening? How's it going to affect us? It's got to be big because it's called the great conjunction. Um, and, and it reminds me of the this movie by... Um, the Dark Crystal by uh, Jim Henson. Um, the Great Conjunction happened and these like two forces came together. And if you've never seen The Dark Crystal, go watch it. It's one of my favorites. Plus, I love puppets. So there you go. And on, on this, I'm curious, what is this? And I wanted to ask an expert on like, what are people talking about? But I also like to know, how does things in our astrology charts affect our sex lives and our relationships and all of that jazz and alan is actually somebody who does some super old astrology so a lot of you when you think of astrology you're probably thinking western astrology you're thinking about a lot of terms that you hear from western astrologers but alan actually does astrology that's even older than that vedic astrology way older so i'm going to give you a lowdown on on who alan is and kind of his a little bit of his um, background so alan is a Canadian astrologer. He's a palmist, an author. He's a graduate of the American College of Vedic Astrology, and he's also a former tutor for the British Faculty of Astrological Studies. He's written several books, including Mutual Reception and the Draconic Bowl for Western Astrologers, plus the Kalasarpa and the Paravarta, Paravartana Yoga. If I'm pronouncing anything wrong, just please you know, correct me, and uh, Stellar Astrology Volumes 1 to 3 for Vedic Astrologers. 
his New Age Noir series, Scorpio Rising, Felonius Monk in Soma County, features an astrologer as a protagonist who one viewer has called, reviewer, sorry, I say viewer because I actually see this as going like, when I, every time I read this, I actually see that this is a TV show, a series. So one viewer, reviewer um, has called it the Sherlock Holmes with a horoscope. So how fun is that? Now it got me curious because I absolutely love murder mysteries. I'm like addicted to every, especially British ones. I love them. <laughs> I'm all over them all over uh, Netflix. So they're kind of fun. So Alan, I want to welcome you. And uh, my first question to you is what possessed you to actually say yes to being on this show? Didn't you promise me a t-shirt? A t-shirt? Yeah, I'll make you a t-shirt. Sure. You really <laughs> did it yourself, right? That's right. You know, it's funny. I have been knitting things. So that's hilarious. You say that it's been a knitting a little, a little unicorn wool, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Make it magical. For those mercury retrograde periods. <laughs> yeah, I can do that for you. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thanks, Melissa, for having me on. Um, you know, it's been so many years since I saw you uh, at the what was at the Omega bookstore yeah. in uh, downtown Toronto back in the heyday. Do you remember those days when they actually used to have New Age books. bookstores? You could go in there, <laughs> you could look around at astrology books and tarot books and yeah. buy some crystals and maybe get a reading from somebody like you or me or whoever. Gosh, the glory days. I, I could go back even further to uh, uh, the 80s in Montreal when I first got into Vedic astrology. And uh, well, after getting my diploma from the British Faculty of Astrological Studies and uh, moving to Montreal for the first time. And at that time, there was like four different bookstores in town. And you could go there and put up a little poster and say that you were an astrologer and that you're going to be giving courses starting in September and people would show up. Oh, it was so quaint. We'd go to bars, <laughs> and restaurants and cafes and have our uh, little uh, tete a tete there. But, uh, you know, those days are gone. Oh, everything's online. No. Sad. Even yeah. worse now, we're all we're all under restricted restraining orders, you know, uh, confined to home. This is the way we meet now. But anyway, uh, sorry, what was the question? Why did I agree to doing this? Yeah. I'm asking myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing I here? Well, this is how my life started. <laughs> I was I'm a zygote, and then. <laughs> well, you know, I was the first attracted to astrology because one of the key words in Western astrology, I was first a Western astrologer. And if you know just a little bit about Western astrology, they have these what they call aspects, which mm -hmm. are angular relationships between planets. Uh, one among those is sextile. You know, it was kind of like catching. Word. That right, sounds yeah. interesting. Maybe I should learn some astrology. <laughs> <laughs> All because of sextiles. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, that okay. is great. And then you somehow uh, got interested in Vedic astrology. How did that all come up for you? Well, I, I did uh, study formally. Uh, with the British Faculty of Astrological Studies, I, I came from New Brunswick where like nobody did astrology and nobody taught astrology and nobody practiced it. So I had to look around for a correspondence course and make a long story short, I ended up with the Brits because it seemed like very um, thorough and compelling. And I uh, did that correspondence course for a couple of years and went to England for one school year and 
uh, finished off my studies and wrote 16 hours worth of exams. And when I came back to uh, Canada, I settled in Montreal for the first time. Uh, but And then I practiced as a Western astrologer for, I guess, a good 15 years, giving courses in Montreal and consultations. Um, and back in, you know, what are the, this was early 90s, I guess, um, a girlfriend of the day gave me a, um, a book on Vedic astrology. And I looked at it first and I thought, no, uh, I, I have a lot of fire signs in my chart. So a lot of Aries, um, uh, Leo rising, um, Sagittarius moon. Um, and some of those things, when you convert from uh, tropical zodiac in Western astrology to a sidereal zodiac in uh, Vedic astrology, you drop back a sign. So instead of a Leo rising, it became a Cancer rising. Instead of a Sagittarius moon, I became a Scorpio moon. So my first reaction was, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, that's not me. Okay, but I, I persevered and uh, read the book and I thought, yeah, okay, maybe this does make sense. I'm going to give it a chance. So I ran around town. This was in Montreal at the time and bought up all four Vedic astrology books that I could find among all these bookstores. And that whetted my appetite a little bit. And then uh, that fall or the next year, I went to a, a conference in uh, San Diego uh, on Vedic astrology and, um, you know, just kind of came home with a suitcase full of books, uh, the software. But while I was there, I, uh, you know, talked to a lot of people and they said, oh, you're Canadian. You must know Hart Defoe. Uh, no, who's Hart Defoe? Well, he's just like practically the greatest, uh, you know, uh, Vedic astrologer in, in the Western world. And he lives in Toronto. You're kidding. So I, I eventually tracked him down and went for a consultation. I thought, well, that was pretty impressive. I told him I wanted to learn more. I came back maybe three months later for uh, a weekend workshop here in Toronto. Um, and then a year later, he launched like a full-blown program in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, which I then got on board with that. And that was the beginning of, uh, well, 10 to 12, maybe 15 years worth of study with him. Um, and I went along and got certified, as I had done before in Western astrology. I thought, well, it's good to be certified, even if only because jumping through these hoops sort of confirms, at least to yourself, that you know, you know, all the basics. And, well, more than the basics, quite frankly, everything you need to know uh, to function professionally. And of course, you know, it means something to some people. Um, not most clients don't ask you whether you're certified. They simply say, you know. How long have you been good? doing this? And, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, away I went. So starting around the mid-90s, I began shifting from Western astrology to Vedic astrology. And it's like walking with a crutch uh, for a little while using my Western astrology. I was doing like double analysis each time I would see a client. But eventually oh, wow. I kind of dropped that crutch of Western astrology and it just totally embraced Vedic astrology and uh, got deeper into studies and the practice. And and now like I'm scarcely aware of what's going on in, Vedic, uh, in Western astrology anymore because I simply don't use it anymore. So I'm fully... Uh, fully absorbed in Vedic astrology. Oh, that's really cool. So from the Vedic perspective, is there anything as a great conjunction going on right now? Well, there is no difference really, uh, you know, except uh, the backdrop of the signs. So what is a great conjunction? It was great for yeah. me. Was it good for was you? Was it? <laughs> so honestly, I almost fell asleep for the last three days, like pretty freaking um, knocked out unconscious tired. And I was like, what on earth? And then around 6.30, I started feeling more alive. 
Oh, well, that's so, too much I don't know. Okay. Back off. That's what it is. It's <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, try coffee. Uh, okay, I'll no, try some well, coffee. <laughs> as, far as, as far as the great conjunction goes, you know, uh, that's simply from Earth's point of view, as we rotate around the sun, all the other planets are rotating around the sun in their orbital period too. Uh, and from our point of view on Earth, we can look at the sun or we can look at some planet out there and we basically project our line of sight out into the constellations. And in Vedic astrology, this is easier to explain because we project our line of sight out into the constellations and we see a backdrop of stars, which astronomers or Vedic astrologers can identify and say, you see that pattern there? That's Aries. See the pattern next to that? That's, that's uh, Taurus. Uh, so in Vedic astrology, the, the uh, zodiac is locked to the fixed stars, and that is unchanging over time. Uh, Western astrologers use something different that says basically on the first day of spring, when um, uh, the sun uh, appears to be crossing into the northern hemisphere and we get longer days, that is the day technically when the sun goes into Aries. But that's a kind of a paradigm that's established. Actually, on that day, if we look at that sun, when the Western astrologers say on March 21st, that it's the first day of Aries, if uh, an astronomer or a Vedic astrologer would look at that sun, project his line of sight out into the constellations, he would say, hey, that's not in Aries, that's around early Pisces, let's say 60 mm. days of Pisces. So the two zodiacs are off by 24 degrees. But that's just a frame of reference. In the sky, you still see a full moon on the same day, you still see an eclipse on the same day, you still see the two great planets, Jupiter and Saturn, slowly come together and then be exactly together as they were today at one o'clock in the afternoon. They are exactly together. And Western astrologers and Vedic astrologers see that very same thing. Two little points of light where one is just sitting on top of the other. They appear uh, so close together in, in this circumstance, in this era, that they appear almost as if they were one star. I mean, at first mm -hmm. glance, the casual observer will, might say, that's a star. But if they keep looking at it, they'll see the two break apart, and then they'll realize, oh yeah, those are planets. But the point is, astrologers, whether they're Western or Vedic, still see those uh, two planets in conjunction. Where they depart in terms of perspective is Western astrologers say that this is occurring at one degree of Aquarius and Vedic astrologers say, no, according to our frame of reference, which is the fixed starry constellations, that's actually happening at six degrees Capricorn. And that's the only place that we differ, although that's not an insubstantial difference because when you come to interpret planets as seen in one sign versus another, there is potentially a big difference as there is at this time. Yeah, that's why I thought you'd be a fun person to talk to about this. I did know about your, your Western background only um, briefly, because when we did work at the Omega Center, I think Sachs Francisco told me that you had been a Western astrologer and at the time you were uh, now more, um, I think you had settled on like Vedic at the time it was, Around 2004 or five, so it was before it yeah, closed down. Yeah, I was down, well into it I was doing strictly Vedic astrology yeah. at the time. Yeah. So that's neat that, um, because a lot of people, you know, that I'm reading today are talking about it being in Aquarius. And, you know, the dawning of the age of Aquarius song is like going crazy all over the internet. But um, 
we don't have the dawning of the age of Capricorn song happening right now. If you'd like to sing one for us, um, that would be great. <laughs> what would it sound like? What would the lyrics be if we had the dawning of the age of Capricorn song happening? Well, it'd probably be a hymn song to the Saturnalia in all seriousness, right? Because Capricorn yeah. is ruled by Saturn. And in fact, you know, Christmas itself was, uh, you know, um, taken over by Christians and turned into a great Christian holiday, but it was originally a great pagan holiday called the Saturnalia because it was literally the darkest day of the year. And what did people do on the Saturnalia? They would make big fires. They would bring uh, a flagon of mead or their homemade beer, and they would uh, cavort around the fire, uh, get drunk, and fornicate. Doesn't that sound that like sound, Sounds like a freaking good day, if you ask me. <laughs> Night. Now, I've got a space outside that I could light a fire. Um, it's a little cold. We are in Canada, but I'm up for it. Well, a big, so, big, yeah. big fire. That's yeah, the big idea. Yeah, big bonfire. I'm up for it. I think that's good. Because that does involve, I mean, you are drinking around a fire. What's the next thing you're going to do is fornicate. You have to. Look. They kind of go hand inevitable. in hand. Right? RSVP now. What else do you do? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so this also, so with the the this being in so the song would be an ode of some sort to Saturnalia that would be nice <laughs> so yeah, well, if, if you look at some of the depictions of uh, Saturn as, uh, as painted by Goya and some of these other uh, uh, medieval artists I mean uh, Saturn is a pretty um, <clears throat> ravenous and randy looking uh, critter I've I've you know, seen this a in... satyr, you know yes half, yes half and half beast yeah. <laughs> pretty party on, like kind of pan-like, right? Don't party bring your poodle to this party. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so that's, uh, that is a pretty fun. Oh, I think I'm just realizing that I'm having so much fun talking to you that I'm forgetting that I'm on a, I'm on a radio show and I'm supposed to have commercials because there's like things we do here. <laughs> so we're going to have, helps. we're going to have a commercial. Um, so you're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network, and we'll be right back to talk with Alan Anand about sex, astrology, and relationships right after this commercial break. Are you secretly a voyeur, wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Are you interested in people who are pioneers of different sexual and pleasurable practices? Lean in now with Melitza Yelenich, where she will entice you and your body to know your own pleasure zone. On the Pleasure Zone radio show with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich, you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for the Pleasure Zone with Melitza. Every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world 
knowing your voice matters, and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is the Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email info at melitzayelenich.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Pleasure Zone, my sweet, sweet pleasure seekers. And tonight I am so grateful to have a friend, colleague that I haven't seen in years in person. So this is kind of fun getting to see people live on video. Alan Anand, he's speaking about um, astrology, sex and relationships. First, I was like, Alan, will you come on my show and talk about the Great Conjunction? He was like, oy vey, this is a lot. And I'm like, he didn't say oy vey, but I'm saying that. And I felt, I felt it. I felt energetically in oy vey. So I was like, I understand this is, it's a, it's a huge topic. And a lot of people are doing a lot of predictions. So I was like, well, let's break it down to something that's maybe more fun for us to talk about and briefly tap into what um, everybody's, you know, got the big buzz words on the great conjunction going on. Um, and as we heard from Alan before break, from a Vedic perspective, it's, um, it's in a different uh, sign than it is in the Western perspective. So we're going to have some different ways to, to see this and also to regard maybe the effects that um, this may have on the planet. So it's definitely going to be different uh, if it's in Capricorn than if it's in Aquarius. So that's all curious to me as well on how, what kind of impact that has. But I also love talking about sex. So trust me, people, we're going to be tapping into sex as well today. And even if we don't even involve astrology, we'll just talk some nonsense about sex for the fun of it. <laughs> so thanks for being on, Alan, and being humored by this show temporarily. And um, what is it for you when, when you were seeing, you know, when you're knowing, because, you know, you're in this world of astrology, you know that these conjunctions are happening. What were some of the things that were kind of percolating in your mind of like, oh, okay, so this, this is going on and it's going to be in six degrees Capricorn. What does that, what's that going to be to me? Or because it'll affect everybody differently as well, right? Wherever it lands in their chart, I would think. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so one of the first things that we want to talk about, or at least I want to talk about is yeah. when you have a conjunction um, of any true planet, uh, so, you know, in astrology, you know, we, we consider the sun and moon as part of the, uh, uh, the picture, but those are not true planets. The sun is a star, the moon is a satellite of Earth, but the true planets, like our co-equals in the solar system, are uh, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Now, I'm going to stop right there because those are the visible ones that we can all see with the naked eye. And those are the same visible ones that uh, the Rishis and, uh, um, you know, wise people of the millennia past could lie on the hillside at night and they could point them out to their students without the benefit of telescopes. I mean, Uranus and Neptune and Pluto are out there, uh, but you need telescopes to see them. So they're um, not part of this paradigm. They're used in Western astrology, not in Vedic astrology. So in... in um, uh, Vedic astrology, we regard a conjunction of two 
two planets, so Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, or Saturn, as constituting, when they are only one degree apart from each other, it constitutes what is called a planetary war. It's sort of like, look, there's 360 degrees of sky available, and when two planets are both crowded into the, uh, one single degree, it's sort of like they're kind of symbolically elbowing each other. It's like, hey, why are you crowding me? Why are you stepping on my toes? Back off a little bit. So this, this kind of war exists between the two where they sort of struggle for supremacy. And there are ways to determine who's the winner in a planetary war. Often it's the brightest. And when it comes to Jupiter, it's almost no contest because it's almost always brighter than any other star. Although another measure of the war, um, uh, the winner of the war, is the planet that is uh, more elevated in the sky, has greater declination, um, uh, meaning you know it appears higher uh, off the horizon, seems to stand above the other. So currently Saturn is that higher planet, although Jupiter is the brighter. So you could get into a bit of a debate as to who is winning this particular war. But here's the thing about planetary war. It is a bit like a heavyweight fight when Muhammad Ali and, um, and Joe Frazier go the full 15 rounds and pound the shit out of each other, but nobody gets knocked out. And at mm -hmm. the end of the fight, <clears throat> it's scored on points alone. But at, at the end of that 15 uh, round heavyweight fight, does anybody feel like a winner? No, yeah. they both feel like crap because they've had the, the hell beaten out of them by you know, the best or the second best boxer in the world. So planetary war is a bit like that. <clears throat> so its downstream effect is that it causes some pain for um, aspects of um, life that are ruled by that this planet or the other in your uh, individual chart. So let's say, for instance, that you have, uh, let's say that you have a cancer rising and um, Capricorn, therefore, is your seventh house. Saturn becomes your seventh lord. And if it is beaten in a planetary war, it may imply that your relationship will suffer during this period. Now, we could offer that as a kind of a generic um, uh, prognosis for all cancer rising individuals who are listening, mm -hmm. which is one twelfth of humanity. So, yeah. you know, I hate these kind of generalizations, and it's the specifics of a an individual uh, accurate birth chart that you can do this kind of stuff with. But just in principle, this is how it works. So we look at planetary war as a struggle between two planets that each rule different things. Um, so it's, it's difficult to talk about specifics for any individual or even mm -hmm. generalities for a class of people, although I've given it some thought and I'm prepared to talk about some things in the context of relationship. Are you ready? I love it. I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm like, I'm learning so much. So I'm just feel like I'm sitting here going, this is great. I'm just going to absorb all this information and listen to you. Okay, so, so here's a kind of a rough cut in terms of a, think of it as a little crash course in, in Vedic philosophy. Um, so in, the, in the, the Vedic system, and this is all of, of Hinduism, basically, there are four goals to life. It's what they call the Purushtartha. So those goals are artha, which is material security, kama, as in kama sutra, which is pleasure, then dharma, which is doing the right thing, you know, goes along, uh, you know, the golden rule and right livelihood and all the rest of that. And the last one is moksha, 
which is release and liberation from uh, whatever you've you know, accumulated in life. And you know, you'll get this in the context of yoga. Uh, some organizations refer to themselves as moksha yoga. So uh, Purushtartha, the, the four noble goals. Um, Saturn rules two of those, uh, or is a contributor to two of those, which is artha, which is material security, and kama, which is the pursuit of pleasure. Those are the two sort of lower goals for humanity. The two higher goals, which are dharma, doing the right thing, being noble, having following good principles, and uh, being uh, able to let go. That's being charitable or denying your own ego and, and letting somebody else have it, let's say. Those are things that are ruled by Jupiter. Okay, dial back now to the current circumstance in the sky. Jupiter and Saturn are together in a planetary war. What sign are they in? We have to uh, adhere to the Vedic system, and we say they are in Capricorn. Saturn owns Capricorn. So Saturn is at home in Capricorn. It's like a man in his own house, a king in his own castle. So that means he has strength in this particular instance, and he will for the next two years, as long as Saturn remains in Capricorn. Meanwhile, Jupiter is in Capricorn, and this is practically the worst sign it can be in. We, we use the term debilitated, which means handicapped, compromised, somehow you know incomplete, and is not functioning properly. So, um, and that'll last for about a year. Uh, Jupiter just recently went into Capricorn and it'll stay in any given sign for about one year. So one year forward, but we can use this great conjunction as symbolic of many years to come, at least 20 years, because these Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions only happen once every 20 years. So back up to these two planets. Saturn is strong and Saturn rules uh, material security and pleasure. Jupiter is weak and it rules noble principles and, and the sort of uh, the idea of charity or, or self-denial. So what may happen in terms of relationships during this entire era, and when I say era, I guess I mean something like these next 20 years, it could be that people are going to say, you know what, I always want to live alone and I always thought that was a great thing to do. You know, that's a principle. My freedom is important to me. In fact, Jupiter rules freedom. And Saturn rules responsibility or being tied down or contained or constrained to some degree. Think of what has happened during this COVID era, just in nine months. What's happened? People have lost jobs. That's one thing. Lost have relationships. And paying the rent. Yeah. yeah. And they're also compromised in terms of relationships. You're either alone and you're unhappy about it because you can't, you know, go out and date or, or shouldn't, we should say. Uh, and a lot of people are feeling like, wow, this idea of living alone is like not good on two scores. One, I can't make the rent. And two, I'm lonely. Mm. So I'm thinking that there may be a, a whole generational kind of shift that may happen around this time. Because look, the, even with vaccines, is, is the COVID thing going to be over right away? It may linger for yet another year. But the thing is, it is a pivotal event. It is a shock to the system. And it's going to make a lot of people say, man, is this really the way to go, living alone and trying to make it on my own? Maybe I should be partnering with somebody, even if it's just a buddy uh, or, a, or a girlfriend. But, you know, i got to think of partnering now because that will help me with my material security, 
because it'll be splitting the rent and I won't have anxiety about that. But the other thing is too, I will have companionship. And if it's sexual companionship, great. Even if it's just platonic uh, companionship, that is something too. Do we not get pleasure simply from talking to our best friend? Sure. That, that's a form of kama. Kama, as in Kama Sutra, is not just the pleasure of uh, sexual congress. It's also other things that we enjoy. Good food, uh, music, uh, the touch of uh, silk on our bodies, and all the rest of that. This is part of the broader spectrum of, of Kama. It's fulfilling some desires for nicer things in life. Um, artha is the basic security of, of a roof over our heads and some rice and beans every day so that we don't uh, starve to death. Kama is when we can actually put paintings on the walls, a carpet under our feet, music in the background, and I can have a mango or some ice cream for dessert along with my rice and beans. These are nice. powerful things of life. And so we're pursuing those. So the whole thing with um, Saturn's supremacy in this, it may make people eminently practical in a way that they have not done in a long while. Uh, in terms of thinking about their security and also about a certain degree of responsibility, not only to themselves, but actually to other people. We can help mankind by kind of working together instead, but we do it for very practical and selfish reasons. Ironically, the pragmatist comes forward and the idealist has to take a back seat because this is no time when the world is on fire, you've got to put it out somehow. You can't be... Mm -hmm. Uh, thinking of nobility, you've got to be practical in this thing. So this is kind of where we're at too. I mean, it's interesting to see how that's playing out astrologically and that's truly, it's like it's playing out in our lives right now. It's fascinating how that always shows up for people who are, you know, they kind of poo-poo astrology. It's like, well, you actually hear it from the science of it. It's very fascinating how that, um, how we can see it showing up in our lives right now. And I'm excited for that to be more, for us to have more pleasure, to be more practical about it too. Like practical pleasure is very fun to me. To me, that's like life. <laughs> like it's practical to have pleasure. So I'm, I'm probably living in those lower two, um, those roller, uh, lower two ways of like ruling my life. And um, most you know, people are. Yeah probably not living the moksha part very much or <laughs> probably not burning off my karma very much right this lifetime may probably getting more of it <laughs> but, but quite simply it also goes with your with age as well too i mean we start off let's say in our uh, you know the idea of getting university education already kind of training what whatever is to get a job like to qualify you to become employed, to get some money so you can move out of your parents' house, you can have your own apartment, you can buy a car, you can live your own life. That's all part of your security. And then the more money you have, which you progress in your career, uh, you, can, you can buy a nicer car, or you can buy good clothes, or you can take a vacation, all of which are pleasurable. Am I right? And sure. the notion of uh, dharma only comes along later when you're truly successful. Like actually, when you're you're earning well and you're, you've taken care of yourself, and you know, let's say your spouse or your kids or whatever. And it's only then that your thoughts begin to turn to your community, and you start to think, well, I should be giving something back to my community. Uh, and whether that's in a church group or whether that's a, a local community or whether that's you're going to donate money through charitable organizations or some sort, uh, you start to want to do the right thing. And moksha is, you know, 
something for people more around their retirement years or, you know, in their maturity when they say, you know what, been there, done that, succeeded, you know, happy with my life. Uh, and now I can start giving money away. I can start being more generous with donations to charitable organizations. Um, I can, uh, you know, uh, gift things to all kinds of people. And, and you know what, really, it doesn't matter to me anymore. And that's often when people get more spiritual too in their elderly years or their more mature years, because they say, is this all there is lying on the beach at Club Med? You know, uh, isn't there something more to life? And you start asking yourself that question. You realize, yes, there is more to life. And what could it be? I could be living, uh, you know, um, doing good for others, quite simply, and, and giving up what I have gained in possessions to make things easier for other people. That's part of the moksha. So it, well, don't worry nice, about it. You know, it's a, it's a it's nice development. <laughs> do we ever do it backwards? Because I, I feel like I almost had, um, I almost had more of the, the moksha in my life in my 20s when I was more concerned about humanity, mm. or maybe more giving back and doing things that were more charitable, even though I didn't have necessarily the finances that made sense to do that I would do a lot more for like gifting things my time my um, all kinds of stuff and then all of a sudden I became a bit of a materialist somewhere in my mid 30s or early you know 40s yeah often of some kind of necessity right because yeah. you want a place of your own because you're married maybe now and you have kids or whatever but uh, certainly, you know, uh, the fact that you may have been inclined towards, you know, spiritual pursuits or, or whatever at an early age is, is a unique circumstance to you, which is driven by probably the composition of your chart. What I was talking about earlier is more a broad um, mm -hmm. generational thing that we all kind of experience. We all go to university or, or get training in order to get a job, in order to make money, in order to buy a car and a house. I mean, that's all very materialistic and the pleasure seeking and all the rest of that. Uh, so that's, that's kind of generic for mankind. But yes, there are individuals who are reincarnated as having done all that stuff so much, like the, this life, they come straight in and they go right for the Dharma. And they be, they're, they're spiritual from the get-go. And they, they embrace uh, um, a higher order of life, if we can put it that way. Uh, and that's all well and good, but that's an individual kind of uh, composition. And, and, and again, you know, the birth chart will speak to that or suggest that or be very overt about you're definitely a non-materialist you know you're you're interested only in in studying scriptures and you know uh, worshiping god yeah yes I, ha I have a niece that's like that and she's uh, 13 now but she's very interested in studying scriptures I, vedic scriptures actually so she's a fascinating kid um, and she's very intense it's uh, it's very cool to see and I, I do get that. I mean, we'll, we'll come in with our different stuff. I've never actually had my Vedic chart done. So maybe one day I'll get that done with you. Everybody should at least once in their lifetime. I think so. I, I, the last time I had somebody do my Western chart was probably like, well, oh, it's got to be before my daughter was born. So probably 13 years ago. So okay. be cool to see uh, that all play out. Um, also, because uh, there were so many things that I think um, I could identify with in my Western chart. And like you were saying uh, earlier for yourself, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to have that. Yeah. You know, it's like, right now I've got some pretty fun stuff that kind of goes along with what I'm doing. And if I see it in a different way, well, I just like, fuck me up. What's going to happen to me? <laughs> so, oh, that risk. You might be going spiritual overnight. <laughs> 
trade. I'll just give it all up. I don't know what's going to happen. I'll be like, yeah, you know what? All that cock talk, it's out the window. I'm just going to talk about God 24 <laughs> seven. So. Well, you could become a, you could become a, a, a Hindu perhaps because there's a lot of these temples have, uh, you know, yeah, the, the Shiva Lingam, right? I could yeah, just right. like worship there the Lingam. There you go. <laughs> the Yoni and the Lingam together. There I could just go. be like a bisexual worshiper constantly. There you go. There's a temple <laughs> That's right. So I I, I love this conversation because um, I think it's educating a lot of my listeners on the fact that there is more than Western astrology out there and that we are more than our sun signs, which a lot of people get kind of stuck into these things and they're like i'm such and such uh, and whenever i hear somebody go well i'm a i'm a pisces and you're a this so we should be friends i'm like I, my eyes must roll back in my head real hard so i'm like oh my god i don't know enough astrology but i can tell you this much that's not all there is to it <laughs> but um it, it's always funny to see um how people do try to relate mostly based on sun signs and they're not really uh, looking at the bigger picture a lot of the time and how the bigger picture, if we do know the bigger picture of ourselves, it can often help us not only know more about in relation to the world, or maybe some of our targets. Uh, if, if you're unclear with targets, this I would think that this kind of uh, work, getting your Vedic astrology chart done would really help people to know what their targets are, whether it's in relationship or whether it's you know with their careers or whatever, and a lot of people are questioning like their lives right now, and questioning like what do I do with myself now? So um, I encourage you guys to contact Alan and get your chart done. And how can they find you, Alan? We're not done the show yet, but I want to like let them know a few times before. Yeah, we... I think on the link, uh, uh, my name is there with my website. Correct me Perfect. if I'm wrong. Yeah, it is. It's a Navamsa, the, yeah, Navamsa, the Navamsa.com. Yeah. And Navamsa. so you can also get, yeah. That's how you pronounce it, Navamsa. So it's spelled it N-A-V. Navamsa, but it's cool. N-A-V-A-M-S-A. What does that mean? Uh, it means the ninth division of a sign. So in Vedic oh. astrology, they look at the regular chart, but there's all these subdivisions, what they call harmonic charts. And the Navamsa is regarded as sort of the, the spiritual chart. Uh, the sub chart, if you like, or harmonic chart of your birth chart. So it was just, you know, back in the, the gold rush days of uh, website uh, addresses, I jumped yeah. on this quickly, along with sextile.com. Oh, got that's that great. <laughs> that's awesome. You got to cover both sides of the road, right? You really do. All the parts that you like the most. I love that. Is, are there um, similar things in Vedic astrology? Are there things like the, are the, the different um like are there sextiles in vedic astrology as well or do the there are the there are aspectual relationships but um okay. there are trines but but only mm-hmm. jupiter exerts these trines there are sextiles and squares but only uh saturn does those and uh and squares and quincunxes and only mars does those so it's a oh. it's a totally you know it's not totally. radically different but it's different yeah that is different it, it seems some way simplified it is very much more simplified. Yeah, it is simplified. Yeah. And that is the beauty of it. A lot of people, you know, hesitate to get into it because they think it's complicated. But one step at a time, it's not complicated at all. And, you know, I, I believe it's easier to learn how to read a chart once you know the principles in Vedic astrology than it is 
to uh, be competent in Western astrology. You know, as my, after having been 15 years plus in both, you know, yeah. I'm never going back to Western astrology. And if anybody wanted to learn astrology, I would never teach them Western astrology. I would say, you got to learn Vedic because that is the way they go. I've become a Vedic chauvinist. Okay. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think it's uh, the proof is in the pudding. I, when I do consultations these days, I, you know, if I reflect upon it, I probably say to myself, you know, I see this from that Vedic chart and I, and I never would have seen that, I think, in the Western chart. Um, I mean, that's my perspective. Are there relationship charts, uh, like composite charts that you can do in Vedic astrology as well? Like I've seen people get composite uh, you, charts for relationships. There, there is a form of doing that, yes, where you can compare uh, what we call synastry, comparing a, sort of a critical four elements uh, in each person's um, chart, like uh, your ascendant, uh, your moon, uh, your sun, and your Venus are respectively sort of mundane considerations with the ascendant. The moon is uh, emotive quality and uh, communications. Sun is principles, what we call sort of mission, vision, values. And Venus, of course, is, you know, affection and sexuality. And so if you compare to uh, people's charts, you, you basically get a four by four matrix where, you know, we can compare my moon to your moon, my Venus to your Venus, my sun to your sun, a, a critical four. And That's you cool. can take a snapshot very quickly of how we would get along and, and where we would get along. And if we didn't get along, where would be the sticking points that uh, would need resolution? And maybe they're you know, not resolvable at all. And sometimes I will tell people in consultation that, you know, this could be a deal breaker for you in, in your particular re relationship that, you know, this is important to you, but it's not clicking or it's not happening with that person. And, uh, you know, that's difficult to remediate. There's other uh, things that you can do with the, uh, the Vedic chart too. There's a sort of an analysis of sexuality as well too, you know, sort of uh, basic things on, whether a person is inclined for marriage or disinclined for marriage, uh, whether they're you know, going to uh, have a love marriage or an arranged marriage. I mean, this is a common choice or, or, or circumstance in India or other parts of Southeast Asia or the Middle East where you know, uh, having your family arrange your marriage is uh, a common occurrence. Um, and then there's the whole sexuality aspect, you know, what degree of passion a person will bring to uh, to a relationship. For instance, uh, in the zodiac, you can consider the planets. I mean, they can all be classified male or female, but in the assessment of sexuality, uh, you bring it right down to the critical four, which are moon and Venus are sort of like the good girls of the zodiac, you know, the female planets. And Mars and Saturn are the kind of bad boys of the zodiac. And if you've got this, uh, uh, interchange between the two in your chart, chances are, you know, passion is, you know, simmering below the surface or easily aroused or ready to, uh, you know, get involved. But other people don't have that. For instance, going back to Jupiter and Saturn, you know, as representative of uh, this great conjunction, Jupiter is not a player in sexual relationships because Jupiter is kind of thoughtful, uh, educated, uh, intellectual, uh, moral, uh, that's a big problem, right? Um, whereas yeah. Saturn is amoral. Saturn is down and dirty. Saturn is earthy. Saturn is primal. You know, think of the Saturnalia, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So those two are very different. And that's why this may usher in a more sexual era 
Uh, so you know, for pragmatic reasons and the sort of nobility of uh, uh, you know moral right and wrong might sort of go by the boards and people are more going to say, let me have my pleasure while I can. Let me do the practical thing. I mean, look, when the earth is in crisis, what happens? You know, if you if you really think humanity is going to die, you want to start happen? to reproduce, right? What could be, yeah, the the whole primal reaction for the species might be, my God, we've got to procreate. You know, we're going to die, so we better procreate so that maybe there's a chance that our offspring could live. I mean, that's one impulse, and the other is that if I'm going to die, I might as well have sex because that's pleasurable. And let's take a break on that thought because that's a great one. If I'm going to die, let's have sex. I like that. So we're going to have our last uh, break because I've missed one of them and I'm getting heck from the producers, but that's okay. So (laughs) you're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network and we'll be right back after this short break. Are you secretly a voyeur wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution. Are you interested in people who are pioneers of different sexual and pleasurable practices? Lean in now with Melitza Yelenich, where she will entice you and your body to know your own pleasure zone. On the Pleasure Zone radio show with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich, you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for The Pleasure Zone with Milica every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email, info at melitzayelenich.com. Now, back to the program. Where Welcome we? back. Where were we? Well, if I'm going to die, let's have sex anyway. <laughs> that's where we ended. What a great... <laughs> I think that's great. That's just like, what a summation. (laughs) Yeah, I should have saved that till the end. No, I like it. We're actually almost at the end. We've got about five minutes until until we're going to get cut off by the producer. So if we do get cut off, that's just because that's how they have to play the game. So... So I love that. Let's let's talk about like how those kind of uh, primal urges are kind of on the rise and uh, you know, for what I'm curious about, because it sounds like like hedonism 101 is gonna be like, if I was gonna teach a class in the next six months, maybe hedonism 101 might be the way to go or something to like really invite people into their hedonistic way of being. And there just seems to be like that invitation into pleasure and like overindulgence and play and fun and like dancing around like pan in the forest seems kind of like where maybe if we aren't familiar with those things those are things that we can be facilitated into knowing more about if it's something that's like uncomfortable 
or something that's something we never even tried that before. Maybe you've never been hedonistic and this is like a time to invite those energies in and you don't know how, you can always ask me. I'm very good at facilitating that. Um, you can find out from Alan if this will actually work for you to become hedonistic for the, for the next little while. Maybe it's just never going to be your thing. Maybe you have anhedonia and you're never going to have pleasure and that's okay too. That's just, you know, who you be. So, so if, um, for example, for, for you, Alan, what are some things that if you're thinking about right now, like, you know, all this comma energy is coming up, Saturn is ruling right now, it's got this big energy showing up. What are some things that you're looking forward to in the next uh, while in you, like your life that you can sense as, uh, as an energy that's rising for you? Oh, golly. Well, you know, as a as an astrologer, I am very fortunate to be, you know, in a, in a very sexy profession because I already do it on a daily basis with heavenly bodies. I don't know if mm. there's much more for me to aspire to. <laughs> True that. <laughs> um, well, seriously, I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, project my own future. But, you know, in terms of humanity, uh, you know, I'm back on this notion of uh, this is a bit of an apocalyptic event, even though it may not be the apocalypse. It is a shock to the human system. And I think everybody, you know, is confronted with their own mortality at a time like this. And you only need to imagine one of these sort of <clears throat> sci-fi uh, movies where, oh, my God, the, the astronomers have discovered a comet, you know, uh, heading straight for Earth. And there's no doubt about it, it's going to smack us and it's going to mean the end of humanity. I mean, what would happen during such an era? I mean, I think you could quickly see the collapse of uh, law and order and social order. And it would be a little bit of, you know, every man for himself kind of thing. I mean, I don't like to envision that. And I'm certainly not predicting that because this is sort of like a a controlled burn, if you like, right? It's a forest fire, but well, we have some control over it because, you know, human beings have some rationale to them to uh, control their behaviors. And science is kind of on our side with, with the vaccine. And yet it is scary as hell for so many people. And, you know, there's a point at which it's uh, just uh, so scary that it would paralyze people. And uh, yet when this is over, and let's say a vaccine is more prevalent, a lot of people may be looking to reassess their lives and um, and sort of make new decisions about, is this what my life is going to look like? Uh, and maybe I've been living by principles that are outdated or never were valid in the first place. And now maybe if I'm to have gained a little enjoyment in my life, maybe I need to you know seize upon something else that gives me security, or pleasure, which are, you know, back to the Purushtartha 101, they are the primal needs, which in crisis is what, what we go to. You know, the higher order of things kind of falls away. And so there may be more of that. We have, to, Maybe... we have like five seconds left, Alan. I know <laughs> time flies and you're having fun. But okay. um, yeah, so there may be more of, of that you were saying coming our way. So just keep your eyes Thank you for listening open. to Stay The Pleasure Zone with sensual week. movement artist Milica Yelenich. The Pleasure Zone returns next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, and 5 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. We hope you'll join us. Until then, have the best week of your life by choosing to be turned on and tuned in to your body.